We'll ask you to turn this morning to Philippians chapter 2, please. So Philippians chapter 2 this morning, as we start this chapter together, we'll read from verse 1, just read the opening four verses. I'd also like to add my words of welcome to all who have gathered and for those who are watching online. We trust the Lord will be our portion this day and give us help in the preaching and the hearing of His truth. So Philippians chapter 1, and commencing at verse 1, let us hear the word of our God. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Amen. The Lord will bless the short reading of His Word to our hearts. Let's unite together in prayer. and pray the Lord will come with power upon the preacher, upon the hearing of the Word. So let's just join and lift up our hearts to the Lord and, and make us a profitable time, for only He can do that, that He would mix His Word with faith, that it might profit us and be of benefit to us for His everlasting glory. Let's pray. Eternal God and gracious Father, we lift our eyes heavenward, looking away to Thee, and we pray that Thou would come and give help in the preaching of the Word. We ask, O God, that Thou would pour out the Holy Ghost, not only upon this preacher, but upon all who are assembled, upon, O God, the internet ministry, the DVDs, the CDs that will be given out. We pray, O God, that all, O God, will bring glory to Thy name. We thank Thee for one who is the captain of our salvation. We thank Thee for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank Thee, Lord, that He laid down His life for us. And such great love that He have. O oh God, we thank and bless Thee for His precious blood. And we thank Thee, Lord, for that cleansing that we can have day and daily. Confessing, Lord, that we need it. And yet, Lord, we thank Thee that Thou art faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that Thou would infill me with Thy Spirit. Help me to speak as thus and thus saith the Lord. Give me the liberty, O God, that comes when the Holy Ghost is present. And we pray that the Word will be applied to every heart. Bless us, Lord. Bless Thy people. Encourage their hearts. Edify them. Comfort them. Lead them. Give them holy counsel. And we pray that in everything the Lord Jesus will receive all the glory and the honor that is due to His name. For we ask these things for His sake and for Thine everlasting praise and glory. Amen. Now I'm going to do something this morning that breaks a homiletical norm and give a really full introduction. So I ask you to stay with me. It's not something I recommend to our students, Glenn and Stephen. I see them already smiling. I give myself a D- already. Maybe that's being generous. It's not something that's advised in college, but sometimes a one-off change can be good. So I'm going to give you a heads up. You'll be waiting a while before you hear the title of the message. Now, while it may break convention, it's not wrong to set a text up contextually, and that's what I plan to do with my introduction. On the 4th of August, 1914, Britain declared war on Germany, and the next day, Field Marshal Lord Kitchener was persuaded to become the Secretary of State for War. He found himself in charge of an army woefully short of numbers needed to fight. There could be no delays. The war had already begun. 
And a way was needed to recruit hundreds of thousands of soldiers extremely quickly. The suggestion was made that the army recruit a battalion of employees from the city of London, giving the men the assurance that they could serve alongside their friends. It was because of this assurance, this reason, to serve beside your friends, that the venture saw a tremendous response. In over a week, the stockbroker's battalion had attracted over 1,600 volunteers, and Kitchener was on to something. And so what became known as the PALS battalion was rolled out across the country. Because these battalions were locally recruited, they allowed men to join up alongside their friends, their neighbors, their relatives. Brawlers and lifelong companions went to war together, buoyed by each other's presence. The PALS, as they became known, would only be authorized if their own communities would bear the cost of supporting them until the army was ready to take over, thus reducing the financial burden upon the central government. Locals would house, feed, and clothe the new recruits, while the establishment geared up to integrate them into the armed forces. And by the end of September, just after two months, 50 battalions, PALS battalions, had been formed in this way. Now, as I thought about the PALS battalions of World War I, I thought about this local congregation here in Balamina. Those of us who know and love the Lord are engaged in a great war, a war that has been raging since the dawn of time, a war between good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness, between the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the serpent, the devil himself. By the regenerating work of the Holy Ghost, we have been made willing volunteers and have been recruited into the Lord's army. An armor has been provided for us to fight. And we are comrades the one with another. If you like, we are members of the PALS Battalion of Balamina FPC. Now the Apostle Paul, at the end of chapter 1, he gave a charge to the PALS Battalion of Philippi. Like a commander-in-chief under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, Paul gave orders to the believers there. He gave them a charge concerning their conduct. Every army has a code of conduct, standards that need to be upheld by every soldier. A battalion's reputation can be harmed by just a few. And so Paul, he charges them to have a lifestyle that is in keeping with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He also charges them concerning their consistency. If there's one thing about an army, it is regimental. Regimental in its training, its practices and its operations. There needs to be a high level of consistency of every soldier as they apply themselves to the commands given. The apostle goes on to charge the squadron at Philippi concerning their concord, and how important that is in the military that soldiers have a comradeship to fight for and with one another, not against one another. Every member of the company needs to be in their place, rank and file, holding the line. He goes on to give an order concerning their courage. And you can see how all these charges relate to warfare. Courage is needed to fight the enemy. And for the Christian, there are many adversaries. 
The fact that we battle against the enemies of God it witness to the fact that we are on the winning side. Paul, he charged them concerning their conferment. What they would expect and could expect as soldiers of Christ. The young men who signed up in 1914, they had to face severe hardship in the trenches. And there's many stories that cover the difficulties that they faced there. For the Christian not only is conferred or given unto us the faith to believe in Christ, but also the gift to suffer for Christ's sake. And you know, that is a medal that the Christian should wear with honor. It is a medal that the apostles wore with gladness. And lastly, we thought there at those closing verses of chapter 1 about the charge concerning the conflict. We are called to the battleground, not the playground where the old adversary shells us day and daily with his fiery darts. But as soldiers of the cross, we're fighting in the victory. We're not fighting for the victory. And this brings us to chapter 2. Now, as you know, there are no chapter divisions in the original. And we could read verse 1 like this, Therefore, if there be any. Now, when we see the word therefore, we always must stop and ask ourselves, What therefore? is the therefore, therefore. Now the word, it always takes us back to the previous section. It introduces really a logical response of something that has been previously said. And we could substitute it with the word consequently. So it is in the light of the charge that Paul has given the pals battalion at Philippi that he proceeds. He has made them aware that they, like him, are involved in a great war. And because of this, there was one thing above all others that was needed among them as soldiers. What was it? Unity. Unity. Yes, we come again to unity because the Holy Ghost brings us again to it through the Apostle Paul. The frequency with which this subject is addressed in Scripture emphasizes its importance. Paul He's writing to the Philippians in the context of suffering in their conflict or, or struggle as the word can be interpreted there in verse 30 of chapter 1. They were facing daily opposition to their faith. But they had other issues that were just as threatening to the well-being of their church. You've already noted that this, in this epistle, there's a very obvious lack of doctrinal exhortation. And the reason is because there was apparently no doctrinal deviation. They had not gone astray in terms of their theology. They didn't need to be corrected like other churches. There is no immorality than the congregation confronted in this epistle as there was in other churches. So generally, this is a really devoted, consistent, doctrinally true church. But in spite of all that, there was lurking in that church the danger of a deadly snake with poisonous venom. And that deadly snake was the snake of disunity, which has poisoned so many churches. In all of Paul's expressions of joy and in all his positive affirming characterizations of this Philippian church, there is still lurking in the shadows the issue that is of grave concern to this man of God. You know, there's a sense in which this is a danger to every healthy church in which People are really earnest and strong in their convictions. And against, it is against the danger of disunity 
in the ranks that Paul wished to safeguard this battalion at Philippi against. Now, if there is one thing that you need in battle, it is to know that the man next to you has your back, that he can depend on you, and you can depend on him. If a soldier is trying to advance through no man's land, he wants to know that his comrade is going to give him covering fire. If he falls down wounded, he wants to know that his fellow soldier will come to his aid and not finish off the job by sticking a knife in his back. The concept of comradeship is so essential in any fighting company. They often describe themselves as band of brothers, so tight as a bond they have the one with the other. And Paul knew that this characteristic was essential for them to be able to carry out the charge that he had just given them. That's why he says in verse 2 of this chapter, Fulfill ye my joy. This would delight him because he knew this was essential. As a fighting battalion there in Philippi, here he's commanding them, he's charging them, he's giving them instruction, and he says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being in one accord, off one mind. And you know, that's really the central point around which verses 1 and 3 revolve. In verse 1 we have instruction, and in verse 3 we have exhortation. Now, it's verse 1 that we want to look at this morning. For there Paul gives four truths upon which their unity is founded. This fighting battalion of believers there in Philippi. Each truth, as we see, is introduced by the word if. Now, the if does not imply that there might not be any consolation in Christ, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, and bowels of mercy. The four things mentioned in the verse, they're not hypothetical or possibilities, but certainties. They are four existing facts. The word if can be translated since or in light of the fact. They have been called the, by some the since then statements. Since these things are true, then it can be expected that God's people will be united. Now, I have entitled a message this morning, we're getting there. I have entitled it this morning, The Pals Battalion of Balamina FPC. Now, I sent that into the media group, and a man replied back to me and said, is that the right title for the message this morning? I says, it is, and I trust that that will become clear. God has placed us here as God's people. We have been made willing volunteers. We have been recruited into God's army. And we could call ourselves in this local congregation the Pals Battalion, as we serve beside friends and family, the Pals Battalion of Balamina FPC. Now, I want us here to look at these pillars of truth upon which our unity is founded in order, in order that we might keep on fighting the good fight of faith together. Together. Firstly, we have the pillar of consolation in Christ. The pillar of consolation in Christ. Now, what I will say before we begin to look at these four things is that true unity is inward. It's inward. The four things mentioned are concerned with the inward, which, of course, will have a bearing upon the outward life of any local battalion. 
This verse is talking about something that is internally compelling, not externally controlled. It's not something that can be micromanaged or organized by the oversight of the church, but it's something that is within the heart of every believer. Now, one man, he used the illustration of a bag of marbles. A bag of marbles. And in a certain way, there's a sense of unity because they're all contained within the same bag. But tear the bag apart and the marbles, well, what happens? They, they run everywhere. It's something that is outside them that held them together. On the other hand, if you have a, a magnet, and you put that magnet into a pile of metal shavings, the shavings will all adhere to the magnet. They do this not because there is an external container, but because there is an internal force. They are pulled to each other because they are pulled by the same force pulling through each of them. And that's how the church is to be, drawn and held together by the power of Christ. Not simply because we're under the external barrier of free Presbyterian church. Now, the first pillar upon which unity is founded of any local battalion in the army of God is introduced by Paul, as we see, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. Now, we need to remember this is something that's not abstract to them. It's not an if in their life. This is something that they presently experience as followers of Christ. We could read it like this. Since you have this consolation in Christ, then... That's what Paul is saying here. Now, what does this statement mean, consolation in Christ? This is a pillar of our unity. Well, the word consolation has the root meaning to come alongside and help. The word has the idea of coming beside someone to encourage them, to counsel them, to help them. The word also embodies the idea of the call for help and the response to that call. And isn't it true that we as God's people were always in need of help? The psalmist said that I am poor and needy, and yet the Lord thinks upon us. He not only thinks upon us, but He comes alongside to encourage us, to help us. The Holy Ghost is called the paraclete. The paraclete. He is the comforter who comes near to His people to help them. And how does He do that? By revealing unto them the paracles, the comfort who is Christ. The Lord Jesus is the comfort to the struggling Christian. Spurgeon put it like this. The Holy Ghost is a comforter. Christ is a comfort. The Spirit consoles, but Christ is a consolation. The Holy Spirit is the physician, but Christ is the medicine. The consolation that comes alone from Christ and which is in Christ is that which Simeon was waiting for in the temple in Luke chapter 2 in verse 25, the consolation of Israel. And what comfort, what consolation, what help and encouragement each one of us as children of God have found in the Savior. We have received from Him. He came to us when we were without strength. As the good Samaritan. He came alongside and he, he put his arm around us and he lifted us up and picked us up when we were broken and battered by sin. What comfort, what consolation he still is to our, our hearts now when the Spirit reveals our sin and our shortcomings. Well, he causes us to look afresh to Christ. And there we see our standing, our acceptance in him, the one who never fails. 
What comfort we have in Christ. The Scripture tells us of Christ that He is a strong consolation. He is an everlasting consolation. There is no consolation for sinner or saint outside of Christ. Paul says that here, consolation in Christ. Sinners seek consolation for their guilty conscience in all sorts of things like their church or their ceremonies. But there's no consolation, there's no help for the soul outside of Christ. Saints do the exact same. They seek the consolation of the assurance of their salvation by looking to their knowledge, their orthodoxy, or their works. But there is no consolation for you, dear child of God, outside of Jesus Christ. We have had a week of the Spirit of God putting His finger upon the struggles that we all face through our conflict in this life. But we were not left without the consolation because we were continually pointed to Christ and the sufficient grace that's found in Him. And here is the point that Paul is making. Since those who know Christ and have Christ and are in Christ have consolation from Him, then this is how we are to deal with one another. Since then. It's because the Spirit of Christ dwells in us, then we will be a consolation to one another. When we see a brother or sister struggling in the battle and the artillery of hell is set loose on them, well then we're going to come alongside them and encourage them, put an arm around them and and pray with them. And since Christ has so consistently and faithfully helped you, this is how you, as a volunteer in God's army, are to be towards your fellow soldiers of the same mind. As we read there in verse 2, Paul writes of this very same truth to those at Corinth in his second epistle. In the chapter 1 and the verses 4 and 5 where he says that because Christians have been consoled or comforted, we are able to comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation aboundeth by, or we could read it through, in Christ. You and I have the privilege of being and bringing the consolation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have experienced to sinners who mourn because of the guilt of their sin. We can be vessels through which the comfort of God comes to fellow believers who are struggling in their fight. So, consolation in Christ. And that what we have received is the first pillar upon which the PALS Battalion of Balamina FPC is to be founded. Secondly, we have the pillar of the comfort of love. The pillar of the consolation in Christ, but the pillar of the comfort of love. Paul goes on to state in verse 1, if any comfort of love. Now this is closely connected to the first pillar. It might seem the same, but there is a, a slight difference. And knowing what the Greek words means helps us to understand the difference. Here we have the only use of the word comfort, this word comfort, in the New Testament. It's a compound noun, and it literally means the speaking closely to someone, like coming with a soothing, gentle whisper in the ear to cheer and counsel an individual. And obviously, if you, if you have to do that, you need to be near to them. 
You've heard the idiom to whisper sweet nothings in someone's ear. But in this case, it's not sweet nothings, it's sweet somethings. It's a term of intimate love, any comfort of love. Now, whose love brings cheer to the heart? Well, the love that is mentioned here is agape love, the greatest love, the supreme love, the highest love. It's God's love. The love that is commended to us at the cross of Calvary, a love that is sacrificial, that is unwavering, that is unconditional, that is everlasting. And you know what a tender voice it is that whispers in the ear of believer by the Spirit, I love you and I have given myself for you. You see, in Christ, we not only have one who comes alongside to help us, but He is one who loves to help us because He loves us. You see, you can help someone out of duty or responsibility. It might arise out of that motive. But when you help someone and it comes from a heart of love, then that's a whole different matter. It means so much more to the individual that your deep affection is in it, that they're doing it because they truly, they genuinely love thee. Now this again, I say, is not a possibility that Paul is speaking about. These believers had heard the gentle whisperings of Christ, and since they had known the comfort of His love, then they were to show that same spirit to others, as the apostle puts it in verse 2, being of the same love. You notice here how verse 2 is that central point. Verse 1 is the instruction. Verse 2 is the focal point. Verse 3 then is the exhortation. How they will go about that. And we'll come to that in due course. How they were to foster this unity upon which it was built upon these four pillars. And we have here considering the pillar of the comfort of love. Paul is speaking with tenderness to these people. Yes, he has charged them like a general with how they should be living in the light of the gospel of Christ. But he, he comes here with the gentle tones, with, with reasonings why they should be striving together in the battle. You and I, we have heard the words of love. Christ's mouth has been most sweet to us. Have, his lips have dropped sweet-smelling myrrh to our ears with calming counsel. Then let us do the same, the one to the other. A soft answer in love will turn away wrath, but grievous words will stir up anger. And Paul asks them to consider the love of Christ, to think about the constant, gentle, cheering encouragement that Christ whispers to their soul and their life, and the, con the constant outpouring of His grace. And he asks them, you know, can you take all? Can you take all of this comfort from Christ and not give back to Him by speaking in words of love to those of your fellow, fellow brethren? Since you have received the comfort of love, then do likewise. The pillar of the comfort of love. Thirdly, this morning, the pillar of the communion of the Spirit. Look at verse 1 again if any fellowship of the Spirit. We've already looked at this word fellowship. It's a favorite of the Apostle Paul in this little epistle. It means partnership. It means communion. Paul here moves on to the Holy Spirit, and that's interesting because the unity of the church is described in the Scripture as the unity of the Spirit. Paul spoke in chapter 1, verse 5, of their fellowship and the gospel, but here he speaks of the, the fellowship of the Spirit. Now, every believer, 
Every soldier in the battalion is filled with the Spirit. He's the same Spirit in every child of God. We have been baptized by one Spirit into one body, and we've been made to drink of the self-same Spirit. We have all become the temple of the Holy Ghost. Diversity of gifts, but no diversity of the giver. So each and every soldier has the same Spirit within them. All the believers at Philippi were being dealt with by the same Spirit. There was one who was sanctifying them. He is the Spirit of holiness, and therefore their unity, we could say, was also based on their holiness. All of them were being energized and enabled by the same Spirit. The same Spirit was revealing unto them the things of Christ and the will of God. He wasn't revealing unto them several different wills, but one will. His purpose, that's the Spirit's purpose, was to bring them all. As we read in Scripture, in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto the perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The Spirit of God was working in them all. And if they were all indwelt by the same Spirit and all daily infilled by the same Spirit, then the obvious outcome would come to pass. What would that be? Unity. Unity. The unity of the Spirit. And here again is the since then scenario. Since they had the fellowship of the Spirit, then as verse 2 puts it, they would be of one accord. All God's children are indwelt with the same Spirit. And if all God's children are infilled with the same Spirit, the natural obvious outcome is we will be of one accord. The pillar of the communion of the Spirit. Communion with the Spirit means communion with the saints. Fourthly, finally this morning, the pillar of compassionate mercy. The pillar of compassionate mercy. Mercy. Look at the end of verse 1. If any bowels and mercies. The word bowels is a metaphorical expression for deep affection. It expresses, or it is expressive of, of when the inward parts are moved with intense feeling. And the Philippians knew what it was to have this inward yearning within them. And you know, that was the intercessory Ministry of the Spirit, as we're told in Romans chapter 8. I believe the first two pillars refer to Christ. The second two refer to the Holy Ghost. You see, He makes intercession according to the will of God with groanings that cannot be uttered. And as God's people, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but our inward parts are moved within by the intense longings of the Spirit. And because the God who knows our heart also knows what is the mind of the Spirit, then He mercifully gives us what we need. Therefore, we are unable to say, as it goes on in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we're unable to say, and we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to Him who are or are the called according to to His purpose. The Spirit longs for the good and the blessing of God's people. 
And I believe that this is what this is referring to. These people, since the Philippians had known this bowels and mercies working in them, they've been the beneficiaries of this, then they were to be of one mind towards one another. They were to long, to yearn within for the good of their fellow believers and be merciful to them. And brethren and sisters, we all need mercy from each other. For we all are not perfect. Paul spoke of his inward longings for the Philippians in chapter 1 and the verse 8. For God is my record, how greatly I longed. His bowels were moved within him, how he longed for them. Paul longed after Philippians with the tenderness of Jesus Christ, the compassionate mercy that was produced in him by the Spirit of God. He exhorts elsewhere in Colossians chapter 3 in the verse 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. Not inward longing of compassionate mercy to your fellow brethren, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Our unity is built upon the pillar of compassionate mercy. Now, how do we sum up verse 1? What is the basis of our unity? Well, you think about two words, since then. Since then. Since I have graciously and mercifully received so much from God, then I will be gracious and merciful to my fellow soldiers as we carry out the charge that the Lord has given to us. Today is Remembrance Sunday, and we remember the great war of 1914 to 1918 and the sacrifice that many a soldier made in conflict, but we too are in a great war. We are in this local PALS battalion of Balamina FPC fighting alongside one another with holy camaraderie. We know that there's all our faithful fighting companies of soldiers. They belong to the same army and they fight for the same king. But, but brethren and sisters, this is our post. This is the line that we have been assigned to to hold. This town and this district. But more than that, we, we want to take ground. We want to take ground back what the enemy has taken. And we will do that more effectively as we stay united. This Paul knew as he spoke of the furtherance of the gospel. And this is why he says in verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy. Fill it up. Oh, this will cause my heart to rejoice, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Fierce, we didn't sing the verse, but fierce may be the conflict Strong may be the foe, but the king's own, own army none can overthrow. Round his standard raging, victory is secure, for his truth unchanging makes the triumph sure. Joyfully enlisting by his grace divine, we are on the Lord's side. Savior, we are thine. The Pals Battalion 
of Balaam in FPC. May we all be in rank and file, the one with the another. As we stand in unity upon these four pillars of glorious truth, consolation in Christ, comfort of love, communion of the Spirit, compassionate mercy. Since we have received all that, then let us exhibit that to our brethren and our sisters. May the Lord bless His Word to our hearts for His own name's sake. Let's unite in prayer. And ask the Lord to instill upon our hearts as soldiers of the cross these great truths as we contend for the faith was once delivered unto the church. Our God and our Father, we bow before Thee and we thank and praise Thee for this local battalion of fly soldiers, O God who have been made willing volunteers, who have enlisted in the fight. So mighty, many fighting companies that go out through the week. Or to think of the open air team, the mothers and toddlers workers, the children's meeting company and band of brothers, youth fellowship, God other works, ladies fellowship too, oh God, all these little companies going out, seeking to contend for Thee. Lord, I pray that You'll help us to be a well-drilled, well-oiled battalion that is able not only to hold the line. Lord, we know all the assaults that are coming against us and all the liberties that the enemy would seek to take from us. Lord, yes, we want to hold the line, but Lord, we want to make advancement. We want to take ground that the devil has taken. Lord, it's barren, it's desolate. Describe we could say as no man's land, but Lord, help us to advance neath the banner of the cross. Lead us out as the mighty captain of our salvation. And help us all to be in rank and file, O God, we beseech of Thee. Help us, O God, to have even those two words within our hearts, since then. Since then. Lord, You've been so gracious to us. We've been the recipients of much mercy. Surely then we ought to treat each other the way that Thou hast treated us. Lord, we could say that no one has offended us the way that we have offended You. And that, Lord, You deal with us in such love and tenderness and compassion. And help us, Lord, to be that way, the one with the other. Lord, we thank Thee for the Word. We thank Thee for the instruction. May prepare our hearts for the exhortation of verse 3 and onwards. We pray that You'll help us, help us to see the gospel furthered in our day and in our generation, in this town and in this district. Lord, part us with Thy blessing. Pray, O God, that Thou would bring us again to Your house in Thy will. And pray that thou would bring in the unsaved and minister through thy servant, that he would know the power of the Holy Ghost. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be the portion of thy people both now and forevermore. For these things we pray in Christ's precious and worthy name.
Amen.